0: Let's talk about the dead. In Buddhism, there's the Oban Festival, where food is placed upon altars for the return of ancestral spirits. In India, Hindu priests offer sweetmeats and other auspicious treats during a cremation. We bury pharaohs with food. We celebrate the Day of the Dead, and we even pour out a drink for fallen friends and family. Regardless of culture, time, or place, we humans around the world all strangely have rites or rituals of death which involve food. So, why is that? Well, to talk more about one of these foods for the departed rituals, we have today reporter, author, and avid eater, Varud Gupta. Hey, Varud, how you doing? Hi there. Very well.
1: Thanks for having me. And I agree. It is fascinatingly strange how food is such an integral part of the death ceremonies of so many cultures around the world. But then, it's
0: not really because food is just such an amazing thing. So I understand, Varud. You wrote an entire book about this. It's called Food of the Gods, right? Yeah, I wrote a travel
1: narrative called Bhagwan Kipakwan or Food of the Gods. It's an exploration of food and faith that I wrote along with my partner in travels Devang, who clicked all the beautiful pictures of the cultures we explored. The book itself came out at a very natural conclusion to a very personal journey that I was experiencing at the time. I had just quit my job in consulting after a typical, you know, millennial existential crisis. It was a dark period, and there was just something about food that kept me going. As a writer, food became such a great lens into exploring cultures and histories around the world, or even those in my
0: own home. Yeah, it's a really fascinating book, Varud. And I understand you travel to pretty much every corner of the world for research, right? Yes. Uh, So
1: before the book, when I quit my job, it began in Argentina, where I was working grills, uh, bartending in Peru. But after that, in India specifically, the idea was to explore the diversity of the continent. So this took me to dining with Buddhist monks or Karbi tribes. We ate everything from fried cicadas ground up in a chutney form or made mutton momos with singing aunties in villages up in the north. And along the way, we discussed different food ways and perspectives. It was a journey that meant a lot to me then, and a journey that has been on my mind once more lately. Why do you say that, Varud? We lost my granddad some time ago, and the entire time surrounding his death was just traumatizing. I remember the days with him in the hospital. I remember bringing his body home. I even remember those strange bodily scents as we performed the cremation ceremony. It's sad, but when I think of my grandfather today, it's hard
0: to remember anything else. Death of a loved one is always a pretty traumatic experience. And I know we deal with it in different ways. And in the book, you talk about dealing with it by eating. Tell me more about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's part of my own life philosophy right there, eating my feelings out. But in the book specifically, we explored how food is just a gateway into exploring death. And you know, we all deal with death in very different ways and different cultures around the world have developed these ceremonies and traditions around the departed. So in particular, one ceremony that I got to explore in my book was the one practiced in the Zoroastrian faith, where that bond between food and death
0: is taken to a whole nother level. Today on Proof from America's Test Kitchen, food that's served not to gods and not for guests, but food served directly the souls of the departed. I'm Kevin Pang. Stick around. No matter where you are in your culinary career, Augusta Scoffier's School of Culinary Arts offers professional training that can empower students to reach their full potential. Ranked the top 10 culinary school in America by USA Today, Escoffier blends classic culinary methods with a sound business foundation. They focus on understanding and implementing sustainable practices in the industry to help prepare students for life-changing careers. For more information, visit escoffier.edu to learn more. That's E-S-C-O-F-F-I-E-R dot
1: I want to take you with me to the sleepy town of Udvaram. It's one of the first stops we took to explore food and faith for the book. It rests on the west coast of India in the state of Gujarat, so the salty breeze from the ocean strolled alongside us into town. Walking through the sun-baked streets of stone, it was hard to not immediately feel transported to a different time and place. Swings out on porches where locals bide their time reading or people-watching, any outsiders as myself, and the entire vibe is accented by the musk of sandalwood, which wafts from the Fire Temple, Iranshah Atash Behram, standing proudly in the center of this Parsi community. The Parsis, or followers of the Zoroastrian faith, that settled here in India are one of the more recent additions to this country's diversity. They hail from the historic region Persis, now known as the Iranian Plateau. Their civilization once spanned much of Western Asia under great kings like Cyrus and constructions like the city of Persepolis, But in the 9th century, many departed from those lands to settle upon these western shores. Over the years, Parsis have become very much an integral community in India. From gravyed mutton dansak, fried chicken farcha, or the locally celebrated spiced fish, boini machi, I think their cuisine has only helped that popularity. It was on our first day in Udvada that I was very much being guided by my own belly, famished by the long car drive up from Bombay. This was a part of my career where I still wasn't comfortable calling myself a writer. I was still just a lost soul searching for that something special about food. So as you can imagine, my first stop was to the Globe Hotel restaurant. I went there for lunch, but I was also there to meet a 27th generation Parsi. He has a stitched family tree tying his lineage back to those very settlers centuries ago. Enter Arvad Marzban Hatiram.
2: Yeah. Shnom is actually the mystic side of the Zoroastrian religion.
1: You have to meet this man to truly understand how complicated of a character he is. He's dressed in ritual white cottons that would have to be removed before interacting with non-Parses, so definitely Orthodox. As a practitioner of this esoteric realm of the Zoroastrian faith, he's a part of a small group of priests within an already small population of Parsis. This community is known to be quite sequestered in India. Discussing this with Marzban, he mentioned it comes from the perspective of preservation. A community that has lost so many, you begin to understand why the Parsi have relied on seclusion as their means of retaining both their lifestyle and their faith. Marzban is no different. He trained with the high priest to study Zoroastrianism, but he has never forgotten that he is also a true foodie at heart. In fact, on that day in the Globe restaurant, he immediately began ordering local Parsi dishes for us to sample. Over a meal of fried mullet and tangy mutton curry, I learned that Marzaban wasn't always a priest. He used to actually work as a financial controller after studying auditing and accounting. But after turbulent time in his own past, he decided to swap Excel sheets for cooking food in Zoroastrian death ceremonies. Food and existential crises. It's easy to see why we immediately bonded. Moving to the town of Udvara, Marzaban has found a way to combine his passion for faith and food into one, preparing food for departed souls. We began discussing the foods served in the Zoroastrian rituals for those unfortunately still not living. Before we can dig into those treats though, I first need to lay out a conceptual table of the Zoroastrian faith. The religion was one born from a series of conversations that the Prophet Zadustra had with God. God, who is also known as Ahura Mazda, or the Lord of Wisdom. And according to these conversations that were written into scripture, when a member of this community dies, their body first travels to a fire temple. In Udvara, that temple happens to be a short walk away from our restaurant. As we finish and pay for a meal, we walk to a brownstone building. Upon our approach, there's ash rising over statues and symbols of the Zoroastrian faith.
2: In each religion, there is one specific which is the instrument with which you can catch those blessings. For us, it is fire.
1: It's clear why fire is such a central concept in Zoroastrian faith. From the earliest of nomads, fire was the center of the tribe. Warm, light, protection, all very important. But fire allowed us to consume foods that we couldn't before, by destroying bacteria and unlocking nutritional value. Today, the fire temple stands at the center of this town. It's a reminder to the community, as it is to Marzaban.
2: It is the reason why we are here. And it is the constant reminder that we are here with a specific purpose.
1: After someone dies and the body arrives at the fire temple, first high priests would preside over this physical form. These priests are part of the original priestly families here in the Udvara community. Marzaban isn't allowed to conduct those ceremonies since he's not originally from this particular Parsi community but he has found his own part in the depth process, which we'll explore in a bit. After the stage of the ritual, the body is placed onto a nearby tower of silence. This might sound a bit macabre, but this is when vultures often consume the body. It's a way of returning our physical state back into the world around us, an idea we explore later when it comes to the ultimate journey of our souls. But for now, just keep in mind that as our physical presence is consumed, It is our spiritual form, our souls, which are freed. Leaving the fire temple, we take a short walk back towards Marzaban's house. His house was actually a gift from a mentor who wished it to be used as a museum. But Marzaban thought he'd make that remembrance a living one and continues to practice his part of the death ceremonies here. As we walk, Marzaban describes the prayers that happen after the soul is freed.
2: So generally for prayers, we have four different prayers. One is the baj, then there's an offering gun, a farokshi, and a stoop.
1: The four prayers take us through dedications to Ahura Mazda, the cosmic spirits, along with many other individuals. Central to these prayers is the idea of remembrance. The recitations remember God, as well as pious kings or warriors of the past. They call upon leading lights of the community and family, those living and deceased. But the ceremony doesn't stop there. It's conducted quite regularly throughout the year and on auspicious days.
2: In my family, we do it for a minimum of 57 years. The number of occurrences where the ceremony is done also changes. But the person will be remembered. If on nothing, on his annual day of death.
1: It's a good thing our man has a background in finance. His clients are people who are making the wisest of investments into that of their own salvation.
2: And so we make the whole chart, the whole Excel table. You arrive at a certain sum of money. And so we enter into an agreement, a legal agreement. And a certain sum of money is kept in Oh,
0: wow. Who knew there was
1: so much finance and religion? Some would argue it is civilization's oldest business. But I'm pretty sure at this point, while the rites and rituals have been fascinating, you've been probably wondering where food actually falls into the ceremony and why. Marzban comes in during that last prayer called Stum. So Satum
2: is a whole meal which is offered to the source.
0: When we return, Marzban prepares an offering. Who doesn't like trying new wines? Naked Wines makes it super easy to do just that. Not only do they deliver wine directly to your front door, they also fund some of the world's most experienced, independent winemakers to produce their passion projects. When you join their 300,000 member Angel community, you're helping to fund hundreds of exclusive wines you can't find anywhere else. Each wine is the culmination of the passion and artistry of an experienced Vintner. So join the community and get your Angel Wings. Get started today and save 100 bucks off your first order of $140. A six-bottle case starts at just thirty nine ninety nine. Visit nakedwines.com slash holidayproof21 and have yourself a glass of your own. Naked Wines, from the winemaker to your door. Eating great food is one thing. The prep and cleanup afterwards is, well, something else. That's where Kohler comes in. When prepping for recipes, you can tell the voice-controlled faucets to dispense measured amounts of water. Kohler's faucets also feature a sweep spray to quickly get any gunk off of your dishes. Even if your hands are messy, you can wave on and off the touchless faucets. That way, you can clean with ease. Visit Kohler.com to learn more. And now, back to our story.
1: How do our souls eat? I ask Marzaban. And what is that journey taken after death? This is where things start to get heavy.
2: What we believe is that every human being, every soul actually, not human being, every soul, what we call as ruwan, is on a journey. So it can be a plant, it can be a mineral, it can be a vegetable, it can okay. be an animal, anything. Animate, inanimate. Everything has a soul. What is the journey? It's a three-step journey. It says that at one point of time, we were all together. One. Then something happened, and we got separated. And now we are going back to where we were.
1: The cycle that Marzaban is describing sets the very stage for the Zoroastrian meaning of life, to return where? To be one with God, to be one with Ahura Mazda.
2: God is everything rolled into one. Ahura Mazda's wish is that all the creation come back to Him. It should come back to Him and attain salvation.
1: Once you reach there, you must be judged. As God represents this idea of perfection or wisdom, the judgment occurs along the lines of a creed that most Parsis are instilled with from childhood.
2: Humata, hukta, Havarshta allegedly translated as good thoughts, good words, good deeds.
1: The soul is judged by the actions taken over the course of our lives, by our good thoughts, words, and deeds. And then, well, Marzaban uses his finance knowledge to explain what happens next.
2: When the soul goes up, the net formation of that accumulated thoughts, words, and deeds appears in front of the soul, depending on What you have done? So when the soul sees that, it gets very disappointed.
1: Our souls must confront a sort of ledger of our thoughts, words, and deeds. And the shock of seeing all that red on the ledgers must weigh heavy.
2: When it does that, it gets tired, it gets demotivated, it gets disheartened. That is why it requires some energy.
0: It sounds like even our souls need to binge their feelings. But if souls can't eat, then what are they gaining from this food? Right. The souls don't
1: eat the food, but they gain from it a spiritual energy. This is the spark or fuel of salvation that brings them closer to God. The aromas of the dishes remind the souls of life. It's almost like a period of reflection for these souls, with food there to represent some of the best of the human experience. And lastly... There's also the notion that having the food out there, these souls are also receiving an energy of being remembered by those still living. If I had to remember my grandfather, it would also be through food. The days spent during summer vacation walking through old Delhi by-lanes, getting a personal tour of the street snacks, and I guess even today those bites help me remember him despite all the trauma.
0: I can totally relate, Barood. My grandmother knew how much I love chicken skin, so she would buy a chicken from the market, peel off all its skin, and fried it just for me. That's still the indelible memory of my grandma today. Which brings me to wonder, what are these foods, and why are they specifically served to help these souls?
1: These are the exact questions I pose to Marisban, and it starts with kneading
0: some dough. Green Pan changed the way people cook when they launched the original healthy ceramic nonstick back in 2007. And this could be the year that Green Pan changes cooking for you too. America's Test Kitchen is partnering with Green Pan for our holiday cooking sweepstakes. Proof listeners, here's your chance to win a Valencia Pro Ceramic Nonstick 16 piece cookware set, a Green Pan Premier slow cooker, a Green Pan Premier essential pan, and a Green Pan Gourmet Grill. Enter now by visiting our Instagram page at Test Kitchen by January 7th, 2022 for your chance to bring home the Green Pan Grand Prize this holiday season. Green Pan, what you cook on matters. And now, back to our story. So
2: the storm is actually the smallest ceremony. It takes only 10 minutes to pray a stoom, But it's the ceremony which takes the largest amount of
1: preparation. This is Marzban's routine, daily for the departed souls. Meal after meal, and sometimes even snacks in between. A routine that zealously follows strict doctrine.
2: Everything has to be made by Parsi hand, And for more Orthodox people like me, Everything has to be made by me.
1: With God in mind and hands at work, his trance is almost meditative, molding and portioning the dough, a trance interrupted only by my assistant questions and the snaps of Devang's camera.
2: All religious food which is made is always accompanied with prayer. You don't talk when you're right. You pray.
1: Is there a mantra that Not you... No, any
2: mantra. You can do anything. It can be your personal prayers, but the mantras are supposed to be mixed into what you're making. And therefore, it becomes even more potent.
1: On this day, Marzban starts by making auspicious snacks. Taking that wheat dough, he rolls it out with a special rolling pin with a bell-like make. Over the years, Marzban has built up a repository of auspicious foods. Some he learned through discussion and demonstration with other priests, and others while researching recipes
0: from ancient tomes.
2: The main thing is that Generally, you should have something of wheat.
0: Wheat is sacred. What's so sacred about wheat?
1: In the Zoroastrian faith, the idea of good or sacred food relates to resonance. Resonant foods are those foods considered to have good energy, and thus good for us to consume or use during such pious occasions. These foods can include wheat, Fruits or flowers or even copper metal, which we see Marzaban only using during the preparations. To understand why certain foods are considered pure, though, we have to return to the idea of salvation. All our souls are seeking salvation in the Zoroastrian faith, and their purpose is to return and become one with God. But remember, this soul isn't just in us humans. From animals to flowers, that one soul is dispersed like fragments in the world around us. And the reason that the world around us has a fragment has to do with the creation of the Zoroastrian world. It began one day when Ahura Mazda found within the original one soul a speck of bad energy. This bad speck was ignorance.
2: So management theory says that if you have a problem, you should always break it down into smaller problems. Then it's easier to solve. So obviously, God is also a management consultant. So he decided to use these principles of management. So he took this Ruan and he broke it into 10 parts.
1: To try and unearth this presence of ignorance, Ahura Mazda, the Lord of Wisdom, decided to break apart that one soul. In the first breaking into 10 different parts, the universe and the cosmos was formed. But one of those parts still had the presence of ignorance. So Ahura Mazda continued to break the soul down. Thus came the cosmic spirits. He broke and he broke. And then came us humans and the physical entities around us. No matter how much that soul was broken, instead of isolating the bad energy, it was spread out amongst the creations at different resonances. Everything around us from that in and out burger to that kale salad has a different energy. Some good, some bad. That at least is the cosmic explanation. Though when it comes to such traditions, I like to think that unknown science at the time is probably what led to such classifications. For instance, some animals had diseases. Meanwhile, some items like wheat were probably dietary staples for such ancient civilizations. Some ingredients were maybe considered healthier or vital, while others were taboo or prone to causing digestive complications.
2: So that's why certain fruits have more resonance. Certain flowers have more essence,
1: and they will be used.
2: And certain fruits we never use, pineapple, durian.
0: Well, when you say it like that, it makes a lot of sense. In the case of durian, crack that bad boy open and, whoo, bad smell. I guess that's where all the bad energy comes from.
1: Right. And I found it especially enlightening that durian in particular was an example that Marzaban brought up. Because durian wasn't a food in ancient Persia. So either it was that bad smell, or just purely being a foreign food is what made it to be classified as a bad resonant item. The non-durian-esque items that are good are used in the sthum ceremony to help the souls towards salvation. That is items like wheat or flowers. But as Marzban tells us, these principles of seeking good energy items are just as applicable for the living as they are for the dead.
2: When you follow the practices more and more, it begins emitting a stronger signal.
1: When that stronger
2: signal is emitted, it reaches the ears of the fragments in the lower kingdoms. When the soul begins emitting its beacon louder and louder, it catches the attention of the other fragments which are in the other kingdoms. And on the theory of resonance, they will become attracted to you and they will come back closer to you.
1: The soul's signals resonate and attract the fragments back to you like a magnet. Because salvation is a team effort, by being a good person, I'll attract other good energies. And I personally eat a lot. So either I have a lot of good resonance and by eating all these good foods, I'm helping us all by bringing together the pure fragments for the ultimate journey, or more likely, I have a lot of bad energy. And so I'm probably attracting bad resonant foods like buffalo wings and flaming hot Cheetos. So I like to think by eating them, I'm consuming the bad and taking them away from you. So call it personal sacrifice. Why, thank you very much. My absolute pleasure. And I think that brings us back to that idea of good thoughts, deeds, and actions. By doing good, I am attracting good, dead or alive. It's Quite the nifty spin on you are what you eat. But anyway, back to our stum with marzban. With the dough now prepared and rolled out, he adds a pinch of caraway seeds and molds it into circular discs. He sets aside one pile of dough to be deep-fried in ghee or clarified butter. These golden beauties are called papri, and they're one of the staple dishes of the stum ceremony. The other pile gets a hit of sugar, cardamom, and vanilla essence, then is also fried into fluffy rounds known as bakra.
2: Why are we making religious items? Once the hand touches this food, it cannot touch anybody else.
1: Or anything which is non-pure. Otherwise, the food is wasted. It's quite unfortunate that these departed souls don't actually get to taste these items, as between the earthy caraway, the pungent, clarified butter, and the hit of fermented toddy, a palm wine, the simplest of dishes taste divine. Another dish he makes for us is a rubble, almost like a porridge with semolina.
2: Okay, so
1: rubble. What do we need?
2: Rubble, ghee, sugar,
1: dry fruits, milk. It's flavored with cardamom and nutmeg, and then Marzaban reveals a surprise.
2: All of this is from Costco. My slivered almonds, I can't sit and cut almonds. So I get the whole packet of slivered almonds from Costco. It's such a time saver.
1: Costco, the proud sponsor of meals made for departed Zoroastrian souls. Couldn't have planned for some better product placement. Even a priest has their kitchen hacks. Just wait for it. As the rebel comes to boil, the last topping Marzban adds is a hint of ice cream essence.
0: Wait, wait a second. Ice cream essence?
1: Yeah, I know. Despite the doctrine, the rules, the orthodox nature of his practice, Marzaban really hasn't allowed this to take away from the joys of cooking.
0: And some of these embellishments make sense, after all. If the souls aren't eating, well, they're still smelling. Exactly.
1: These dishes made for the stum vary in preparation throughout Marzaban's day.
2: It can just be a simple thing, like a roti. I can put roti and milk, and that's done. Or I can make something elaborate, like dandar, patio.
1: Other dishes range from the roti, a simple flatbread and a porridge, to sometimes rice and lentils of vegetable sides, a sampling of the local cuisine. Through recipe and preparation, the process isn't just cooking. For Marzaban, it is something greater. Purpose and remembrance in the role he plays in helping these souls, it's a reminder of something bigger. Larger than encountering and his own personal struggles. For Marzaban, that original path wasn't enough.
2: After some time, it stops satisfying you. Then you need something deeper. That's when religion comes in. So most people are on the superficial level. They're still on attainment of wants and love and family and, and all that's very nice. I don't look down on them at all. I was also that way. I still am that way sometimes. But there is a greater thing than that.
1: Given his divorce, which sent him through crises and led him to Udvara to practice his faith, you can start to understand Marzban's dedication to fueling our souls to salvation.
2: Look at it as the longer journey. The longer journey of the soul. Because the soul is in us. And we are the vehicle for that soul's progress.
1: As the death ceremonies might seem to be about helping the dead, There is a lot to learn and remember for us still living. The world around us is all fragments of the one soul, you, me, and all the others. So salvation can't happen alone, no matter the feast prepared for the departed. It happens when we all return together. So while for some the ceremony might be a moment of remembering the past, it is almost as much about us remembering the larger things in life. Death is that moment of reflection to digest the loss, It signals a certain hope for us living, urging us to remember the good, reminding us to be good, so that when our time comes, we might also pass in that judgment.
2: That's the message of Zoroastrianism: Work and be optimistic. It's a very optimistic faith.
1: And with that remembrance, the stūm ceremony comes to a close. Sandalwood is burned and the food is placed for the soul. We humans have officially done our part, the rest is now up to the soul to be weighed against judgment. I come from a Hindu household, so when my grandfather passed away, we didn't conduct what Marzaban would do for his Erastrian clients. Food actually didn't play much of an important role at all, until the very last day, when we hosted a feast. During this meal, we ordered all the classics of Old Delhi, all the items my grandfather once loved fluffy puris, birmi alu, a dish of gravyed potatoes, and for dessert, a sweet whipped dolat ki This wasn't strictly a religious affair, but this part was probably the most important. I don't personally believe the way Marzaban does that we have a higher purpose, but still in remembering my grandfather, I don't want to just reminisce about the good times we had. I should also want to remind myself to be better while I still live and eat. Sometimes I'll be good, sometimes bad, and I can only hope that my thoughts, words, and deeds are enough for when my time comes for judgment. And if not, at least I'll have a belly full of food to show for the
0: journey. Thanks to Varud Gupta for bringing us this story. If you like Proof, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Kevin Pang, and the podcast is made by the following cast of characters. I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer. I'm executive producer, Caitlin Kelleher. I'm senior producer, Caroline Rickert. I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm the associate producer. I'm Bridget Lancaster, creator and the founding host and producer. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Poynton and Anya Gjeshik of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sound's composer theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forster and Jordan Pearson. And Margolis is our director of post production. And our line producer is Diane Knox. Fact-checking and additional research by Angela Yang. Special thanks to Ervad Marzban Hatharam for sharing his journey and knowledge as well as the team behind Bhagwan Ke Pakwan, Food of the Gods, including Devang, Tony, and Prerna, who made this adventure a reality for Baroud. Jack Bishop is the Chief Creative Officer of America's Test Kitchen, and David Nussbaum is America's Test Kitchen's CEO. Thanks to our sponsors for this season, Kohler, Naked Wines, Augusta Scoffier School of Culinary Arts, and Green Pan Cookware. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.